Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing or find us in your favorite podcast app. Good evening. We begin tonight with my conversation with former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich. President Trump this week commuted his 14-year federal prison sentence. He was convicted of a string of charges, including wire fraud, attempted extortion, and conspiracy to solicit bribes. Blagojevich was impeached by the Illinois state legislature back in 2009 and a year later declared his innocence during a brief appearance on Celebrity Apprentice, hosted, of course, by Donald Trump. His commutation has been criticized by both Democrats and Republicans in Illinois, familiar with his record. I spoke with the former Democratic governor who now calls himself a Trumpocrat just a few moments ago. Governor Blagojevich, there's obviously been criticism about the president's decision to commute your sentence. It's certainly within his power to do so. I guess what interests me is that since you've been out in the statements you've made, you've shown no remorse for the crimes that you were convicted by a jury of. And and you're portraying yourself as a victim of persecution by prosecutors. Just about everyone, though, who's actually looked at the evidence against you says that that's just false. Well, um, I don't think they've looked carefully because uh, I am a political prisoner. I was put in prison for practicing Wait a minute. You're a political politics. prisoner? See, Nelson Mandela was a political prisoner. Poli- political prisoners have no due process and are unjustly jailed. You had a jury convict you. You had appeals courts look at your, your sentencing uh, and you even, try, you even appealed to the Supreme Court twice and they refused to hear you. So you're hardly a political prisoner. Well, first of all, Nelson Mandela went to, uh, before a court. He was convicted in, in, in a court of law. I had more, nearly eight years to read books. Uh, right, by a racist apartheid government. That's correct. And not but a jury I bet of you his if you peers. Were to ask him, I bet you if you were to ask Nelson Mandela whether he thought the process was fair back in the early 60s in South Africa, he would say what I'm saying today, and that Sir, is the shocking I, I, I just got to stop you. I'm sorry. As someone who's worked in South Africa yes. and saw apartheid, the idea that you are comparing yourself to uh, somebody who has actually been railroaded by a, an apartheid system um, is just nuts and, frankly, like offensive. Well, for, no, you're the one making the comparison, not me. I didn't bring up Nelson Mandela. You did. Right. You're, I'm, you're I'm saying, simply like saying that him, I'm a, you were railroaded by a, a an all-white jury who for an oppressive regime? No. No, I hear again, you're putting words in my mouth. I never said that either. Okay. There were there were the, the jury was had you know some representation from from African Americans. No, what I'm saying is that I was thrown in prison and spent nearly eight years in prison for practicing politics, for seeking campaign contributions without a quid pro quo, no express quid pro quo. And if I was given the same standard Senator Menendez was given, uh, I could very well have been in the U.S. Senate instead of where I was. Now I'm not complaining that I'm not in the Senate, but I am complaining that I was sent to prison by a handful of corrupt prosecutors who are abusing their power. They're un controlled. And they're the ones that Chief Justice Breyer talked about when he said that our country is in trouble because of these uncontrolled prosecutors who uh, can do just about anything they want to do and are using their power to uh, uh, go after government officials for what are what he called routine practices. Let me just ask you. That's what I went to prison for. Okay, let me just ask you that. So you're saying it's you're saying it's corrupt prosecutors. Do you know who the guy is who actually uh, approved the wiretap, the phone tap on you was? It was Michael Mukasey, the attorney general at the time. He's actually a Trump supporter now and yes. a Trump defender. 
Um, he was a George uh, Bush appointee. So the idea that yes, I'm not. He's one of the corrupt prosecutors, the guy who actually tapped your phones and actually gathered all the evidence. No, I'm not. No, I think he I think he got uh, he signed off on what the prosecutor. So he was fooled by uh, corrupt prosecutors. I I think that he was given some information and he agreed to uh, do the wiretaps and and then they had wiretaps that if they played all the tapes, which they didn't do, they put a seal order on the tapes, wouldn't allow me to play tapes in court. Tape recordings that they made that proved that everything I'm saying is true about what they did to me. I think the result would have been very different. So, but, okay, here's where your argument to me doesn't really hold up. Um, You're saying it's these corrupt prosecutors who tricked the jury, you know, who who didn't allow. They lied you to, play. to the jury. They, they lied gave to, them fake okay. law. And they they lied to the jury. Okay. Yes. And they, you're you're the one who's actually been convicted of lying to the FBI, though, by that very same jury. But but just just hear me out here. What I don't understand is, um, let me just remind you, it wasn't just it wasn't corrupt. It wasn't prosecutors who convicted you, found you guilty. It was actually a jury who found you guilty, and that's our system. You also then were able to appeal. And you appealed um, to the uh, to the the circuit court um, and and twice, I believe. And they actually upheld your conviction. So other judges, a higher court, the U.S. Seventh Circuit, they looked at the evidence again. They said it was overwhelming. That's a quote. They upheld your conviction. And then you twice had the opportunity to apply to the Supreme Court to hear your arguments. And you know what? They refused because they said your argument doesn't hold up. The very argument you are making right now was looked at by the Seventh Circuit, by the Supreme Court. It was heard in the courtroom and no one bought it. The Illinois Senate unanimously voted to remove you. Everyone in the Illinois House also voted, Democrats and Republicans, to impeach you, except for one person. You know who that was? Your sister-in-law. I mean, give me a break. Okay, that I hear what you're saying, but let me let me fill in some of the okay. mis, uh, the facts that you don't seem to have. First okay. and foremost, uh, when a when a prosecutor comes out and and arrests a sitting governor with a SWAT team and announces a big lie, the sale of a Senate seat, which incidentally was reversed by the appellate court. Correct. They ruled that the discussions I, about right. the Senate seat were routine politics log Correct. rolling. They still okay? upheld your they upheld conviction. Three, they upheld your conviction. They did not. They reversed those charges. Those and charges. There were, you know what? You had like, what? How many charges do you have against you? Like 15, 16? Yes. They, they threw out a couple of charges. You, there were still enough charges okay, so they, for a judge to then look at it and say, you know what? The sentence still stands. But go ahead. I interrupt. Let me ask. Do you know what those charges were that were upheld? Do you know what they were and what they involved? They involved. Can, do you, Anderson? Because I can tell you if you don't. Uh, yeah, I actually do. But go ahead. For, Okay, well, we're, requests for campaign contributions. Right, extorting well, nobody was a, promised a anything. Again, it's extortion if there's a if there's evidence of a quid pro quo of an express quid pro you know what, quo. You don't of threatening have, you, somebody come on, you're a smart or promising guy. someone to none extort of that was somebody, in the evidence. To extort somebody, you don't have to say, "I am now extorting you. I am now going to threaten you. I am now going to promise you something, a quid for a for a, 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 a pro." I mean, it doesn't work that way. It does work that way. The United States Supreme Court in 1991, the highest court in the land, Anderson, established the rules for fundraising. And they said that routine political well, requests for That was the argument you made in court, that this it, was all routine fundraising. Is only bribery or extortion. Right. 
it, it, it's only a crime if there's an express quid pro quo, one thing for another. There was never evidence of that. Okay. They never proved that. They simply said that if there's a connection in the mind of somebody, okay. that that so, then okay, is the but, standard. But, but, but the sir, standard you know they used, the jury. I have to make this point. OK, go, go ahead. The jury made the right call based upon the fake law that the prosecutors gave them. They the, the, they used the standard against me that the Supreme Court in the McCormick case said was not the law. Think right. about that. They used okay. a standard the Supreme Court right. said was not the law. How different is that from using right. from a dirty all, cop planning a murder weapon to frame good. an innocent man? OK, all of this sounds good on TV. It's all true. OK, it all sounds good all on true. TV. And to people who haven't actually looked at this, but you know what? The jury actually looked at the evidence. Actually, you had two juries looking at evidence. You also have now had the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals looking at the evidence, and they said it was overwhelming against you. And they do know the law. And on top of that, the Supreme Court it, it was looking at this great injustice that you're talking about. And they said, you know what? Twice. We're not going to look at this because, you know what? The, it should stand. Oh, can I answer that? Yeah. The Supreme Court only takes 2% of the cases. It's very hard to get into the Supreme Court. Now, with regard to the appellate court, shockingly disappointing that they would uphold an unlawful standard. I would simply say to your viewers and to you, take a look at the McCormick case, 1991. It establishes the standard. Senator Menendez was given the lawful standard, and he, his case was ultimately thrown out by a judge. Me, they used the standard the court said was not the law, and that is basically a dirty cop planning a murder weapon to frame an innocent man. And then you talk about the primacy of the Supreme Court. Let me remind, let me remind you that in 1857, the best judge in America, Chief Justice Tawney, said that Dred Scott, a black man, was not entitled to the same rights right. as anybody else. And so they don't always get it right either. Yes. And I've learned something in these eight years, and that is that we have a racist and corrupt criminal justice system in many areas. Right. And this is why I hope one day maybe you'll join me in the fight to reform our criminal justice system uh, well, and actually me, do something about the about problem that. of over-sentencing right. blacks and Latinos. Right. I, yes, I, I, I learned I think, that when I, I was there. Okay. What was sad is that you hadn't actually learned that when you mattered, when you actually were the governor. You, work, you talk about working for the criminal justice reform. There's a lot of people in Chicago, there's a lot of people in Illinois who actually, like, spit up when you say that. Because when you were actually in power and when you were actually governor and you could have helped thousands of people with clemency cases, you blew it off. The governor after you inherited a huge backlog, nearly 3,000 clemency petitions that you failed to review. In fact, you were sued by, by uh, you were sued as governor by Cabrini Green Legal Aid to try and pressure you to actually pay attention to clemency cases instead of extorting people for money and campaign contributions. So it's a little ironic and frankly, a little sad and pathetic and hypocritical. You talking about you know, commuting, getting a, you get a commutation of a sentence, which is within the president's right, but you ignored a whole hell of a lot of other people who are hoping you might give them clemency when you actually mattered. So actually, well, you know what, question, I'm happy to, I'm, there wasn't a yeah. question, it was a statement. I'd be happy to work with people oh, on criminal justice yes. reform, but I wouldn't work with you. Okay, can I answer that yes. statement and question? Okay, I'd like to address that. Look, when you've been put where I was and you have all the time that I was given to think and look back on some of the things you might have done different, that's certainly an area that you talked about that I certainly wish I would have done more on. There's no question about that. Fair that's enough. among my biggest regrets. I didn't know how corrupt the criminal justice system was until it did it to me. And that was a wake up call. Having said that, I want to say one thing about me as governor. When the cases came to me 
and I was given files about people who were seeking clemency or pardons, I acted appropriately. Actually, no, they said on your desk, and that's why you were sued. I mean, that is But I did clemencies and I did uh, pardons. I didn't didn't do nearly enough. It wasn't a priority. I I would acknowledge that. I didn't go to the office every day doing that. Instead, I was giving health care to all the children, free public transportation to our seniors and the disabled. Actually, you were holding up. But I regret that very much money to hospitals in order to get campaign contributions. But um, listen, but, Governor, no, see, that's the that that's a big lie. They got eight million dollars from me and I was sent to prison for things that aren't left. crimes. They got it after you. I had promised left. that I ordered it before that happened. And it didn't. They got it while I was governor. That is not factual. OK, uh, Governor Blagojevich, I do wish you the best. I, I really I'm glad for your family that you're out. And, and I, <laughs> I don't know, I by the way, you were asking me questions. I'm well, no, sorry, honestly, I appreciate you no, having no, me but, on. But just honestly, yes. I, I just, look, I have no problem with you getting out. I think, you know, the president can commute to whoever he wants. I just think I wish, you know, you're besmirching prosecutors who actually, uh, who are no longer in, the, in, in government, but, you know, prosecutors are important in our system and you are going after the very basis of our justice system, which has plenty of problems. But, but you know, part of the thing right. is you got out, you do have an obligation to at least admit what you did wrong and you refuse to do that and you're creating a whole new alternate universe of facts. And that may be big in politics today, but it's still, frankly, just bullshit. We got to leave it there. Well, Thank no, you, it's Governor. not bullshit. I lived it myself. It's not bullshit at all. Thank you, Governor. OK, thank you. That was Governor Rod Bogoyevich. I want to apologize for saying BS. I don't usually use that language, but um, I really don't like dishonesty. Uh, a lot more ahead tonight. Much of it breaking news. What the president said today about Russian interference to help him win re-election, in spite of what his intelligence officials are telling him, which is that they are indeed interfering, as well as new reporting about how Russia is working to help Senator Bernie Sanders as well. Also ahead, breaking news that could change the course of the Bloomberg campaign, a chance for women who've signed non-disclosure agreements to talk about their complaints against the candidate. It's more breaking news tonight. Tough words for Vladimir Putin from a man whose 2020 campaign the Russians are trying to help, according to U.S. intelligence. That man, however, is not President Trump. In this case, he's Bernie Sanders. Shortly after The Washington Post reported today that he'd been briefed by intelligence officials on the interference, Sanders had this to say. The American people, whether you're Republicans, Democrats, Independents, are sick and tired of seeing Russia and other countries interfering in our elections. The intelligence community has been very clear about it. According to the Post, it's not yet clear what form the interference has taken or to what final end, though in 2016, you'll recall, the Russians were involved in sowing dissension within the Democratic primary to help candidate Trump get elected in the general election. We already know that the intelligence community has concluded that they are working to do it again right now on the president's behalf, which, keep them honest, brings us to President Trump's reaction. Because regardless of who you think should or shouldn't be president, it is self-evident that any president or any candidate faced with such a challenge would say something similar to what Senator Sanders did today. And in a sitting president's case, would actually act on it. Well, as we've been seeing play out, the president has indeed acted on it, but not in the way you would think any president would. He's fired his top intelligence official, acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire, for having the temerity to allow the House members who actually have oversight responsibility in the matter to be briefed on all of this. Figuratively speaking, the president killed the messenger, at least fired him. As for how seriously he takes the threat to the country and democracy, well, we'll let the president speak for himself. I see these phonies, these the do-nothing Democrats. They said today that Putin wants to be sure that Trump gets elected. Here we go again. Here we go again. 
Did you see it? A story. Art people board. I was told a week ago, they said, you know, they're trying to start a rumor. It's disinformation. That's the only thing they're good at. They're not good at anything else. Well, he also uh, once again called this all a hoax, which at least means he's consistent. Here he is two summers ago reacting to reports at the time from his own director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, that Russia was still trying to undermine our democracy. Reacting while standing next to the perpetrator himself, Vladimir Putin. My people came to me, Dan Coats came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Not only did the president publicly side with Putin over Coates and the intelligence community, he ultimately got rid of Dan Coates. He's also at odds on this with his handpicked FBI director and his handpicked former acting attorney general and his former Russia expert, whom he fired after she testified in the impeachment hearings and warned against falling for Russia's cover story. Based on questions and statements I've heard, some of you on this committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country and that perhaps, somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. Well, the president, as you know, has been pushing that exact same cover story. The question is why? You've heard his defenders say it's because he cannot tolerate any suggestion his election was tainted. But with all due respect, who cares? He didn't take an oath to preserve, protect and defend the purity of his victory or his own feelings. He swore to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution. And so do the public servants that he's fired, apparently for nothing more than trying to live up to those very same words. Joining us now, a lawmaker who was in on the briefing that apparently cost the acting DNI his job. He's Connecticut Congressman, uh, Democratic Congressman Jim Himes. Congressman, you, you see the president calling his, this assessment from his own intelligence officials a disinformation campaign. I know there's a lot you can't say, but how do his comments square with what you have been told about the facts? <laughs> Yeah, well, um, Anderson, yeah, I can obviously talk about what was said behind closed doors. There's obviously a lot of media reports out there. Um, I, I can certainly say, um, you know, the way the president articulated it, blaming the Democrats for another hoax. Uh, again, I can't confirm who said what, but I can promise you uh, that the Democrats aren't saying anything here. You got a bunch of news reports about what, it might, what might have been said in that in that meeting. But look, we should unpack that a little bit, right? What 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 was or wasn't said in that meeting. Um, isn't all that important. And we can come back to that. We can talk about why the Russians might have an interest in Bernie Sanders or, or, or Donald Trump. It's not about them as individuals. It's about uh, creating schisms, about creating divisions in our body politic. But, but, but what's really important is, is what you were talking about there, that the president uh, in the Oval Office, and I obviously wasn't there, may have berated his chief intelligence official for telling him something he didn't want to hear. And Anderson, we've seen this movie before when presidents or when people in power want the intelligence community to say something. We saw it under the Bush administration in which uh, the CIA and George Tenet, uh, the director of the CIA, famously characterized the uh, existence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq as a slam dunk because that's what the vice president, Dick Cheney, and the president wanted to hear. And there are thousands of Americans and many hundreds of thousands of people who paid with their lives for that bastardization of intelligence. So that's really the concerning thing about this story. There is reporting that Republicans on the committee challenged the conclusions from intelligence officials. That would obviously be consistent with the uh, interference that some of them have run for the president since he took office. How seriously do you believe House Republicans are taking this? 
Well, you know, it's a it's a serious thing for them, right? Um, you know, we saw in the impeachment proceeding uh, how all of the Republicans in the House and almost all the Republicans in the Senate are cowed by this president. They need to do what this president wants them to do uh, or they lose their jobs. That's the dynamic on Capitol Hill right now. Many of these folks are good people who behind closed doors express some uh, a lot of concern about what the president does. But they know that if they step out the way Mitt Romney does, they will be treated by by uh, by the president and by conservative organizations the way Mitt Romney was was treated. So, but again, this really isn't about Donald Trump. Uh, this isn't about Bernie Sanders. Uh, this is about the fact I believe to the core of my being that the Russians are going to try to do exactly what they did in 2016 again in 2020. And why wouldn't they? Uh, the president of the United States didn't hold them accountable for it. You know, there's really never been uh, any accountability uh, other than a few indictments, other than uh, uh, the intelligence community sort of showing that we know what happened and the president then denying it. There's really never been accountability for the Russians for what they did in 2016. Yeah, and doing it again, apparently. Congressman Himes, appreciate it. Thank you. The former director of Thank national you, intelligence joins us next. We'll be right back. More in tonight's breaking news, retired Admiral William McRaven, former commander of U.S. Special Operations, has just weighed in on the firing of acting DNI Joseph McGuire. He writes, quote, as Americans, we should be frightened, deeply afraid for the future of the nation. When good men and women can't speak the truth, when facts are inconvenient, when integrity and character no longer matter, when presidential ego and self-preservation are more important than national security, then there's nothing left to stop the triumph of evil. Joining us now is former DNI James Clapper, who we should point out has served under presidents in both parties, is currently a senior national security analyst. Um, those words, I got to say, from a man like McRaven, I mean, that is, that's terrifying. Yeah, they're pretty, uh, pretty compelling, uh, Anderson. And uh, I, I, I think he has a point now. Clearly, uh, I think he's affected by a uh, very close friendship, long standing friendship of decades that uh, he and Joe McGuire have. But he makes a good point about here is the acting director of national intelligence, Joe McGuire, uh, an honorable man who served his country uh, with great distinction in the Navy as, as a SEAL and didn't campaign for this job and then just d tried to do his duty as he saw fit living up to his oath of office and was trying to convey truth to power. And his reward for that was he got, he got fired. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't attacking the president. He wasn't, you know, uh, speaking behind the president's back. He was reporting to Congress, which is it, what the job is. Exactly. Uh, as required in the law, you know, you're supposed to keep the Congress fully and currently informed. And that's that's what the Office of the Director of National Intelligence was doing. Now, as I, I'm hearing, uh, well, the purge is underway at ODNI, the purge of the professionals. And so, I think the uh, objective here is uh, to neuter uh, ODNI as as much as possible. You know, it seemed like, uh, I don't know, a year, I, time is, seems to all blend together now, but it's, you know, it wasn't so long ago that, you know, advisors to the president of the White House were, you know, would go on TV and say, well, look, the president, you know, this administration is taking the, you know, concern about Russian interference incredibly seriously, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The president continues to publicly you know, he's calling it disinformation. He's now fired the guy who's reporting to Congress about it. 
And a lot of the people who were saying, you know, this administration is taking it seriously, they're gone, too. They're all out. I mean, how concerned are you that this threat is not being taken seriously by this administration? Well, I'm very concerned about it. And the, the threat that we portrayed in our uh, assessment of uh, January 17 uh, still holds. Um, the Russians on the heels in the wake of their success in 2016, uh, clearly they're uh, are gonna do it again in 2020. And they really don't care uh, about uh, anyone. It's, it, their objective is, is to sow as much discord and distrust and, uh, and dissent in this country uh, as they possibly can. And, and they're already uh, excelling uh, in you know, the elections months away. The idea, I mean, to, to that point, it's also a point that Congressman Himes made moments ago on, on the program, which is that this isn't about, you know, Russia backing Sanders or backing Trump. It's about, uh, or, or I mean, it may be, but it's certainly about sowing dissension. You can look at it in different ways. But the idea that regardless of who they're supporting, the end result is to sow dissension. Exactly. And that was their objective in, in 16 and always has been their objective. I mean, they have a long history of meddling in elections, theirs and other people's. And we have a history of it going back to at least the 60s. Uh, it's just the magnitude of what they've uh, lately done, uh, notably in social media. And I suspect the reason for, uh, uh, I use air quotes here, supporting uh, Bernie Sanders is that's a way to promote uh, divisiveness within the Democratic Party. Uh, and, and it's just their cynical analysis of how to how to sow discord in yeah. this country. And, and they excel at it. They have yeah. a very sophisticated understanding of our political landscape. Yeah. General Clapper, appreciate it. Thank you. Up next, more on the political and legal dimensions of all this as our breaking news continues in a moment. Think about your home for a moment. It's where life happens. It's where you build that treehouse or try that new recipe. It's where you rest and recharge, work and play. You expect a lot out of it. And that's why HomeAdvisor is committed to keeping your home up and running, no matter what. They match you with the best pros in your area. Pros who can get your home projects done right. From unexpected jobs like appliance repairs, clogged gutters, and leaky faucets, to projects you actually look forward to, like creating your very own backyard summer retreat or getting that new pool installed. Whatever it is, they're here to help. And the HomeAdvisor app makes it easy. Use it to book and pay for more than 100 projects with just a few taps. Plus, if you're looking for some local inspiration, you can see trending tasks in your neighborhood. So whether you need a last-minute fix, routine home maintenance, or an exciting new upgrade, HomeAdvisor is here, ready to do everything to fix your everything. Download the HomeAdvisor app and get started today. Before the break, you heard a frankly chilling warning tonight from the former commander of U.S. Special Operations about the stakes of suppressing facts and the truth in democracy. Let's get some perspective now from New York Times contrib contributing op-ed writer Wajahad Ali. He's a CNN contributor, also a CNN senior political commentator, former Republican presidential candidate Rick Santorum, former U.S. senator from Pennsylvania. With us as well, CNN legal analyst Kerry Cordero, who served as the, at the office of the director of national intelligence. Senator Santorum, shouldn't the president be concerned that Russia is meddling in the 2020 election just like they did in 2016 and kind of calling it a democratic hoax? Well, I, you know, I, I think he should be concerned, I, and I believe he is concerned. I think he's con concerned that uh, that this information is being fed out there and that 
uh, it leads to exactly what your previous guests have talked about, you know, dissension and and conflict between Democrats and Republicans. And uh, I, I think the president, unfortunately, played into that. I think you've seen Democrats react uh, just the same way. Some, at least the ones in in the in, uh, running for president, the same way, sort of trying to sow dissension uh, that, and which accomplishes exactly what they're what uh, what the Russians you know hope to do, which is to sow doubt about the validity of our elections. Right. Well, watch out. The, the president called this called this idea uh, disinformation, essentially. He was saying that th- this is misinformation and, and the well, information. The, the, the he's specific upset- thing about helping his campaign. I don't right. think he's saying that there's that the Russians are involved in, in trying to affect the affect the election as disinformation. I think everyone accepts that as, a, as the truth. Does the I president? Think the part about I mean, he said he told Vladimir Putin he did. Trump doesn't accept it. Trump yeah, he, doesn't accept oh, it. He told Vladimir uh, there, Putin he doesn't understand why they would be involved. I mean, remember yeah. when he was standing next to Putin in Helsinki like an impotent lapdog, just agreeing and nodding his head with Putin said? He threw his own intelligence agencies under the bus. For the past four years, But Donald that's not Trump, what he's been complaining Donald about. He's been Trump complaining been, about Rick, the fact Rick, let me, that they, they talked they talk about just bring his the, campaign being Let helped. me just bring the receipts. Give me 30 seconds. Just bring the receipts, and then let's see. Let's debate it out, all right? Uh, the reason why Trump is a Russian asset is trending is because Trump behaves like a Russian asset. Trump has said that his own intelligence agencies are part of the deep state. He throws them under the bus, doesn't believe all of our intelligence agencies that have concluded that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. Instead, he believes Vladimir Putin. He promotes pro-Putin talking points. He attacks all of our allies, the EU, NATO, Open Skies Treaty. He is sending Attorney General William Barr on taxpayer dollars all around the world to gather evidence to promote a Russian conspiracy theory that Ukraine, not Russia, interfered in the 2016 elections. And... He sits here and he says that there's all these deep state conspiracy theories. And instead of doing something as our commander in chief and promoting the election security bill that the House passed, he fires DNI McGuire for simply presenting him information. And if Putin's goal is to cause dissension, if Putin's goal is to weaken democracy, if Putin's goal is to hurt our institutions, Trump is Putin's asset. Yeah, the reality is that Donald Trump has been tougher on Russia than any president in recent history. Obviously, look at what he's done with respect to Ukraine and supporting them uh, in the process, as well as a whole host of other things that and he's Bologodjevic done to try to confront the Russians. And is a political prisoner. Okay. So the idea Anderson. that Donald well, yeah. Trump is objecting is, is that Russia wants him to win. That's the objection. Uh, Kerry, go ahead. Anderson, okay. So we've outlined what the problem is, which the problem is that Congress needs to be able to obtain and the public needs to understand exactly what the Russian activities are with respect to threatening and conducting activities to interfere in the 2020 election. And we have a a president who is hostile to the intelligence community and doesn't accept or even want to be discussed with Congress that intelligence information. The way that we need to fix that problem is the intelligence committees need to schedule the worldwide threat briefing. And instead of conducting these hearings, even though normally intelligence committee hearings would be conducted behind closed doors, the worldwide threat briefing needs to be conducted like it is every year in public. And they need to call the intelligence chiefs, including whoever happens to be the acting director of national intelligence on that day, along with the chiefs of the other intelligence elements who have information about the 2020 election threats. And they need to testify in open session. And what that will do is it'll drive two things just quickly. One, it will 
produce a written statement that the White House will see ahead of time. So there won't be a surprise about what's in the written statement. The second piece is that then members of Congress in open session can ask these officials under oath what the actual intelligence is. Now, the risk is that the president might not like what is said in open session, and he might even fire people. But if that's what happens, then that will be information and a data point that the public will have to understand why he doesn't want this information out. Senator Centro, I mean, does it concern you that the president fired Joe McGuire? I mean, for, it seems like, doing what was his job, which is reporting to Congress, no? Uh, again, I mean, you know, I, I've got you, there's been lots of reporting about what was actually said in that hearing and, and the amount of evidence that actually supported the idea or intelligence that supported the idea that President Trump's campaign specifically was being helped. And and I think that that was the real concern. And of course, you know, look, uh, let's just be honest. I mean, the the Intelligence Committee is where the impeachment uh, and, and Adam Schiff is where the impeachment came from. And and so that's obviously a very sensitive point on the part of the president that uh, that this what seems to be shaky information that they did not get a heads up on was briefed uh, to the committee that was to, to that started the impeachment against him. So, right, but where well, else are you going to go? I mean, that's that, it. That, well, but I there mean, there's, there's pro- I yeah. guess there's protocols to, you know, if you're going to brief this to a committee that just impeached the president, uh, you might want to let the president know and sort of and, and give him the backup as to why they're going to say those things. And so I, I sort of, I, you know, I can sort of understand why the president was not happy with the way things went down. But you, uh, yeah, watch out. I mean, it seems it's hard to imagine that the president was not also uh, given the same information and informed whatever Congress was informed of that, that it would have caught the president's by surprise. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just want to remind everyone that the president was impeached for trying to abuse his power to force Ukraine to interfere in our ele- elections. He, in an interview with George Stephanopoulos, said he is open to foreign interference. He asked Russia in 2016, Russia, if you're listening. And so the question I have for Republicans and Donald Trump is why are you not protecting U.S. elections from Russian interference? Why are you against an election security bill? Why are you spending money for Space Force? Why are you spending money uh, to bail out farmers? That's socialism, by the way. Why don't you spend money to actually help our elections? And another thing, if Donald Trump is watching, you criticize literally everybody. You criticize the movie Parasite. One tweet to criticize Vladimir Putin. I dare you to criticize him just once. Give me one tweet to prove that you're against All right, we got, I got to leave it there. Uh, Washout Ali, Senator Santorum, appreciate it. Kerry Cordero as well. More breaking news straight ahead involving Democratic candidate Michael Bloomberg and non-disclosure agreements with several women. More breaking news tonight, this time uh, from the Michael Bloomberg campaign. He says he will release three women who made complaints uh, involving him uh, from non-disclosure agreements. This after fellow Democrat Elizabeth Warren first raised the issue in Wednesday night's televised debate. The mayor has to stand on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? Just last night in the CNN town hall, Senator Warren offered this. So I used to teach contract law, and I thought I would make this easy. I wrote up 
a release and covenant not to sue. And all that Mayor Bloomberg has to do is download it. I'll text it. (laughs) Sign it. In a tweet late today, Bloomberg said his company identified three uh, NDAs signed over the past 30 years. And women who contact the company, he says, will be released from those three. Speaking with reporters tonight, Senator Warren says the release, quote, is just not good enough. Bloomberg, she says, needs to do a blanket release. Joining us now is Bloomberg senior advisor Tim O'Brien, an author and a biographer of President Trump. Tim, um, first of all, what changed? 24 hours ago, Mayor Bloomberg said on the debate stage that, that he was sticking with the nondisclosure agreements, that, uh, that the women wanted it that way, that all the parties wanted it that way. Well, Senator Warren is an insightful, courageous and admirable public servant. I think it's wise for us to pay attention to anything that she highlights. And that's what Mike is trying to do here. Um, uh, I, I think I'm disappointed in how Senator Warren chose to put this on the stage. She made comments about uh, she quoted things that Mike allegedly said that he didn't. I think she knew that. Uh, I think she's highlighting this issue uh, uh, to distract from the fact that Mike Bloomberg has a very admirable record uh, in total around women in the workplace, women in his philanthropy, women in this campaign. Our campaign platform uh, is all about empowering women in all of those spheres. Uh, But obviously we can do better. Uh, I think a lot of the spin around this issue with sexual harassment, you know, there were headlines that 40 or so women had sued Michael Bloomberg for sexual harassment. And I think some of the innuendo in all of this about the total number of NDAs was meant to focus on the idea that Mike Bloomberg had personally been involved in dozens of cases right. of sexual so you're harassment, saying there's which just couldn't three. be further from the truth. There, there's three cases that So over that 30 NDAs... years, there's been... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, three, sorry, Anderson. Three cases over 30 years that Mike was involved directly, and he's willing to uh, lift the NDA on those because he's one of the parties involved. His hesitation uh, in the other cases is that other people were involved. And you're saying the other... Cases at Bloomberg were related to Bloomberg as a company, not to Michael Bloomberg specifically. Correct. And and a lot of these headlines. And look, I think this is an important issue for us to focus on in the Me Too era. Men have had their foot on women's necks for quite a long time. And we all need to be better around this. And I'm grateful to Senator Warren for flagging it. Uh, But I also think it's done an incredible disservice to what is true about Mike's record with women. Uh, over over dozens of years. Uh, uh, I think the women who work for him, uh, by and large, uh, the vast majority of women who work for him know what he's done in terms of his respect for them in the workplace, his respect for them on this campaign, and so, his respect for empowering them in a time when Donald Trump is obviously on the other end of the spectrum. Right. Um, can, can you guarantee that those three are the only NDAs involving Michael Bloomberg? Because the, the language is, is very specific in the mayor's statement saying that these are NDAs, that these are NDAs pertain to, quote, complaints about comments uh, people say that, that he made. So just to be clear, are there any NDAs involving the mayor and matters besides language he allegedly used? Do you know? Uh, I think uh, it's my understanding from from our lawyers looked at this extensively that over the last three decades, these were the only three that involved Mike directly. And Senator Warren said tonight this isn't good enough, that the mayor should just sign uh, a blanket release now. Uh, she says don't put the onus on the other party to seek release from the company. 
uh, why have you set it up this way that, that if the women contact, if those three women contact the company, uh, then that's the process? Well, you know, Senator Warren's a lawyer. She represented a lot of companies that sign NDAs. Um, I think uh, she understands that in, in, in many corporate cases, they're a standard way of trying to resolve litigation outside the court system, and it protects all the parties involved not to release all of them uh, en masse. Uh, I do think, however, that there's, there's a concern that these have been used to silence women in the workplace, and I think that's a valid and important concern. And in fact, uh, what Bloomberg LP has decided to do is to not use NDAs going forward at all in any sur- sexual harassment claims that, that come up in the company. And, and I think we're grateful to Senator Warren for highlighting that. I think she's done a disservice to uh, actually presenting a, an accurate a portrayal of who Mike is over his life uh, with women and women's issues. Uh, But we'll go forward on this. Tim O'Brien, I appreciate your time, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Anderson. Coming up, new details about John Bolton's book when we come back. We'll be right back. On a very busy night, there's yet more breaking news. The Washington Post reporting tonight that the president has, quote, directly weighed in, unquote, on the White House security review of John Bolton's upcoming book. The Post, citing two people familiar with the conversations, reports the president is telling staffers that he views Bolton as a, quote, traitor, that he himself will try to block the book's publication. Stay tuned on that. And a reminder, don't miss Full Circle, our digital news show that uh, gives us a chance to dig into some important topics and have in-depth conversations. You can check it streaming live weekdays, 5 p.m. Eastern at CNN.com slash Full Circle or watch it there anytime on demand. News continues. A lot more ahead. I want to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris? Chris? 